Amen, amen, amen. If you'd like to take your seat. We have the brilliant um, Catherine coming to speak on um, John, opening our new series. You made it through Malachi, (laughs) which is great. But um, Catherine's going to open our new series on John. So if you'd like to stretch out a hand and we'll pray um, for Catherine as we start this word. Father, we pray for Catherine as she speaks, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit um, gives her the words to say. I pray for a supernatural faith, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I thank you that it never returns void. That it always achieves your, your purpose, Lord. Thank you, God. In your name, amen. 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 Well, it's very, very good to see you all this morning. Just to introduce myself, my name is Catherine Stickland. I'm one of the two church wardens here during the, uh, the Lantern, and it's, uh, it's great to see you here. Lots of new faces. It's lovely. I especially welcome you here this morning. Uh, I was a bit worried that we might get held up on the way, but uh, as some of you know, we stayed with, uh, we left later, we left the conference later, myself, John, Peter Owen, uh, Phil and Jared, and um, not to blow my own trumpet, but, you know, just that little bit holier, staying to the end of the conference. Uh, you know, we got to hear to the end of uh, the speaker, and uh, we got the pleasure of staying with the Rimmers on that night as well. We took refuge with them. And we did, I did joke with Andy that it just so happens that when uh, Andy, our previous vicar here, um, he helped us formulate these series of sermons, he's also praying on this passage this morning in Barnet. So I said, Andy, if we really do get snowed on, I can just do your shift for you at Christchurch. Would have been a great pleasure. This word has been uh, uh, is weighing heavy on me, not in a sense of um, of a burden, but it's been it's been a very straightforward preparation process. God has been, I think, anointing me for this word for a good couple of weeks, and all that we learnt and uh, enjoyed at the conference seems to have just been like a magical tapestry just woven into what God has got for me to share with you this morning. So I just commend it to you. I commend it to you this morning. Shall we start with uh, reading the passage? We're going to be opening with John 13, so we get to all this time, all this time, sort of being able to translate Malachi to look for Jesus in Malachi, which isn't as easy as just reading Jesus' words straight from the page. It's nice to be for me to get straight into John and to actually read what Jesus is saying. So if we get the passage up, John 13. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean though not every one of you. For he knew he was going to, uh, who was going to betray him and that 
was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. It's the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Shows how unanglican we are, a bit rusty on those responses. That's okay with me. Now, who has ever, ever in their lives, heard this passage spoken on, preached on? Ever in their lives? Yeah. Yeah? It's a famous passage. It's a famous passage, and rightly so. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It takes Jesus just before he's about to commit the ultimate sacrifice, lay his life down, and he's talking, and he's using this illustration of washing feet. Yes, he's going to wash their feet, but he's actually talking about, talking about the cross. So it's used as a, an analogy for what's to come. And the big message I want to come across to you this morning is a little verse in verse 1 and 2, where it says, Jesus knew. Jesus knew. And then he got up. So Jesus knew and he got up. What do we know that makes us get up? That makes us respond to the call of God on our lives? What do we know that makes us get up? So if there's anything you want to come away with this morning, you can switch off right now. Just take that little, that little snapshot with you. Jesus knew, so he got up. There's a correlation between what we believe, who we are in Christ, and how it works out in our actions. What is it that Jesus knew? What is it that Jesus knew? Verse 1, that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to his father. So he knew the timing of his calling. He knew the season that was upon him. He, He was going to leave the world and go to his father. So he knew that what he was in, that season he was in, the temporary time on the world, it wasn't forever. He knew where he was going, and I think he was anticipating that with great joy. And he now showed them the full extent of his love. We know that Jesus was with God in the beginning. And we know that Jesus came in human form, though intensely and amazingly divine. He was human. I don't think... I get that. <laughs> I don't think I, my brain can fully comprehend that he was fully God and fully human. His mother would have had to talk, teach him how to use a spoon. It's not like he just rocked up. Can you imagine how precocious he would be if he'd been like, sitting in his, like, in his child's seat? Like, all right, mum, yeah, um, I know that you're going to burn that toast, so if you just go along and do that now, um, because I know ahead of time. He wasn't like that. He had to learn skills. He had to step into his calling. He had to learn human frailty. He knew it, and he chose it but he exhibited the divine in human form. Incredible. Incredible. What else did Jesus know? He, Jesus knew, it says, verse 2, that the Father had put th- all things under his power. All things have been put under his power. Jesus could have, at, the, at that pause point in the meal, he could have clicked his fingers and all their feet would have just been clean. So why did he choose to act? Why did he choose to do those things? to demonstrate the Father's love, the full extent of his love. And Jesus knew where he was going. 
He knew where he was going. He was returning to God. Absolutely no doubt about it. He was returning to God. The Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, the Son, were so intertwined, so intertwined in a, in a cosmic, incredible, whole, healthy relationship. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew the calling on his life. He knew the purpose that his life was going to achieve. He knew that he had the joy, it says in uh, the end of Jude, the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He knew what he was going to achieve. He served out a place of knowing. He knew, so he got up. In freedom, he chose. And it reminds me of Paul. Do you remember back in the autumn, we did Paul, didn't we, in Philippians? He said, I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. And he says, I rejoice that I join in the sufferings of Christ. And I think Paul had got cottoned onto this, that Paul was so entranced so captivated by the deep, resonant, wholesome love of God, he served out of that place of wholeness. He served out of a place of wholeness. Do we? Do we serve out of a place of freedom? Do we serve out of a place of wholeness? It's our desire to express the Father's love because we know who we are We know who we've called to be in this season, and we know where we're going. Big question, isn't it? Really big question. I don't flinch from it, church, this morning. I commend it to you. The conference was really good. So uh, John and I, Peter Owen, a staff team, so Jared, Phil, Sarah, Karen, uh, Ruth, uh, Tony and Ross Hansen, as well as Mike Tufnell, our new vicar who's going to be joining us. We all joined together, uh, as well as Chris Tebbett from the parish church and his wife Sandra. We, were all, we all gathered together to go to this conference. The tagline of the conference was transforming communities. Transforming communities. And actually, the sort of what uh, one of the speakers really commended to us was actually, church, if we're not leading, if we're not leading and providing a place for communities to thrive, for um, creative people to be raised up, for lawyers to stand for uh, injustice. Who is? Who is? We, th- we think about Merley, don't we? We think about Merley as this individual place that can't have a, or maybe, uh, you know, kind of inward-looking. A lot of us really like living in Merley, myself included. But it was, the conference was incredible at actually getting us to think bigger. What is it that our community need, communities need? <laughs> a gathering of business, of education, of nurses, of servant-hearted people with innovative ideas, able to see the bigger picture, join together and achieve something for God. Achieve something bigger than any of our individual parts can achieve. Now, I think part of uh, this sermon is actually to look at, sometimes our mentality can get really distorted, can really distorted when we serve in church. And I, I think I've got sort of four areas of where our act of service can be distorted away from what I'm suggesting is Jesus' outline of uh, serving out of freedom and serving out of, uh, of dignity. But we can distort it, and I shall lay these out before you. Some of these may ring true. I think I can hold my hand up to every single one of these uh, in, in, my own, in my own life, unfortunately, to lesser and greater degrees. First thing is we can imagine ourselves still be, to be slaves. We can imagine ourselves to have a slave mentality. I'm told to serve in church, so I do as I'm told. I'm on that rotor because I've been told to. I can't question it. I might have been on that rotor for about 16 years now. 
I can't get off that rotor. <laughs> if you want to get off a rotor, just speak to someone. Don't let that become a burden around your neck. Your owner is angry. If you're a slave, you're really mindful that your owner might really be violent and vicious towards you. As a slave, you have no control. You have no control. There's no creativity. There's no partnership. There's no, oh, can I suggest this slave owner? And he's like, uh, no, because you're a slave. Get back and do what you're told. When we serve, we're left depleted. What's the use? You follow with blind obedience, and you're left exhausted. This is what, being a slave when we serve God, that's what it's like. And we are not slaves. We are not slaves. We are servants of the king, but we are not slaves. We are not slaves. If your service leaves you feeling depleted and inadequate, that you feel like you've been railroaded into something, ask God if you're in the right place. We are not slaves. A second area might be that we still consider ourselves to be orphans. Orphans uh, imagine themselves to still be abandoned. They're abandoned. They're worthless, alone. They have nothing of value to offer. Uh, there's a fear of failure. Because if you get it wrong, your adoptive parent might reject you like you've been rejected before. There's a fear of rejection and a desire to please. You serve, and you might be really good in your area of service. You might have a massive heart for it. But it's on a knife edge whether... Father God really likes what you're doing. It's on a knife edge, you're really wondering. And if you, if you get it wrong, and this is something I've struggled with, that Father God, I love you, I adore you, I'm adopted, I believe that, but if I get it wrong, how can I reconcile that with loving you, with wanting to achieve my best for you? But it's a falsehood, it's a lie. What I offer to God doesn't have to be perfect. And I am not an orphan. You are not an orphan. When you're adopted, you actually become completely like you've always been a biological child. That's the difference between biblical adoption. Is there's, no, there's no difference between a biological child and an adopted child. You have the same rights. So we have the same rights as Christ. We have the same rights as Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. We share a father. We are not orphans. Third one, being a religious leader. So you hold a position of power, of influence, you like what you do because people know you do it. There's respect, there's honor, it's the right thing to do. You know that in the church community, you're expected to serve, so you serve, and hopefully people will give you a pat on the back, and that really, really boosts up your ego. I'm up there, I've done that. Every time before I speak, I have to pray, Lord, these people are lovely. They often say really nice things about my talk. Just make me Teflon coated that that doesn't actually boost my ego. Because it really can. You guys are so nice. You guys are so generous. Now you're not going to say anything nice to me after this sermon. That's absolutely fine. I'm, happy. I'm, I'm at peace with that. That's okay. But it's knowing your weaknesses, isn't it? I remember the first time I did a talk a while ago. I was, I was nervous, but I was also excited. And, um, and God just said, you're my donkey. You're my donkey. I like that. <laughs> Because it completely shattered any pride, proud, uh, pride I had. And it revealed to me that my job was to be a humble donkey. And I was just to bring Jesus. I was just to bring Jesus' message. Just like Jesus sat on the mon uh, monkey? No. Donkey. <laughs> that would have been a totally different story, wouldn't it? Can you imagine? 
that uh, I'm just here as a donkey. I'm, I'm hopefully a humble servant just bringing Jesus to you, bringing his message. It's not about me, it's about uh, Jesus every time. Finally, another area we can slip into is as a cynic, as a cynic. That actually, when those emails come out saying, we need extra helpers, or you're like, oh, for goodness sake. For goodness sake, do you not know how much I'm doing? Do you not know I'm on the rotor already? I am busy. Do you not know how busy my life is? Who falls into that trap? I don't be hands up, but I will. I, uh... My life is important to me. It goes on, this whole uh, storyline in our heads. Don't invade my space. God, I've, I've nailed you down, God. You are Sunday mornings, 9.15 till 10.30. Maybe an extra 15 minutes is a nice coffee. I've nailed you down, God. That and that alone. People always ask for help. They're always asking for help. There's no change. Church just drags it out of me. I turn up, I'm, I'm limited. I can only do this much, no more. Cynicism breeds bitterness. I'm not talking about being sceptical, I'm talking about being cynical. There's a difference. Sceptical is saying, I'll weigh that up, uh, come up with some different ideas. I'm sceptical about the, the government. I'm, I am sceptical that the government has all the solutions, but I'm not cynical enough to think that they can't do anything right. There's a difference. But I suggest that cynicism breeds bitterness. In a year's time, that cynicism will have grown. In five years' time, it'll have got even worse. The problem with cynicism, it blinds us. It blinds us to the joy of service. It blinds us to the joy of working with God in your calling to step into what God's got for you. And that is, that is exciting. So if you, there are elements of cynicism to you, just encourage you just to bring that before the Lord. I'm not talking about boundaries. When I'm outlining these various ways we can uh, involve or think about different attitudes towards service. I'm not talking about boundaries. I'm not telling you, certainly not telling you, that you should do everything. If someone's asked, or there's a need, that you should lay down everything and go. I'm not saying that. That's about, that's much more to do with uh, boundaries. You need, we all need to have boundaries from each other. And that's healthy for our self-care. I'm not saying that we limit. Uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not saying the boundaries are, are bad. They're essential. Because we don't want to be doing what we're not supposed to be doing. But if you ignore the call of God in your life, what might have been may never, have hap- may never happen. And you, you miss out on a partnering and a joyful collaboration with the God of all time. And, uh, and I will, you will never know what you might have been. You never know what God might have had in store for you if we don't ask. And if we don't sort of... Uh, we don't realize that these lies are lies. We don't acknowledge them that they're lies. We're not slaves. We're not orphans. We're hopefully not religious leaders wanting the joy and the success. And we're not cynics. We're not cynics. Let's go back to what Jesus knew. Jesus knew, so he got up. What did Jesus know? That partnering with Father God, partnering with the God of all kind. I would argue and I would commend to you is the single most exciting thing you can ever do in your life. Imagine you've got a God who knows you. He knows your story. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. He knows your gifting. He knows how he's going to anoint you and call you for a particular season. Imagine he's capable of that. 
that to know you like that. Plus, he can give you the power to achieve it. Plus, he you know the timings of your context to know how useful he, you are to him in raising you up for such a time as that. As well as uh, the context of being in community and how your story can be knitted with other person's stories to do something radical, to do something beautiful. Imagine if you believed all those things. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? My heart is to see more and more people released into their calling. And that is something God's been staring at me for a little while now. Let the fun begin. When Jesus served, he stepped into his dignity. He served with such humility. He did things that people were surprised about to show love. But he wasn't humiliated. He actually was so dignified. He was so dignified. It didn't take from him. It didn't remove his, any honour. It made him more honourable in the way he was serving us. And we are apprentices. We are apprentices in this great, big kingdom work. That means, as an apprentice, uh, I'd like to sort of say that it's not like a three-year apprentice or a five-year apprentice. This apprenticeship goes on throughout our lives. And we know that you wouldn't expect apprentice, an apprentice on day one or even on year one to be able to run the company. So I think sometimes we put pressure on ourselves that we should know what we're doing, that we should do it perfectly. But that's not the case, is it? When God calls us, he calls us to be apprentices, to learn, to have the chance of failure but he's with us. It's a co-partnering. It's a collaboration. I know a lot of you, you might be sitting there thinking, Gavin, it's all right for you. <laughs> it's all right for you. You know you've got skills, you've got gifts. I'm all right, yeah. Um, but we're not doing this in isolation. We're not doing this in isolation. I'm not going to send you off so that this next week you can pray and ask God and get this individual significant thing that is your life's work. We are doing this in community. It might be that in your life group someone said, you know what, you're really, when you prayed for me that time, you ministered to me. When you made me that meal, I felt loved. When you looked out for me and sent me a message to see how that job interview went. We can commend each other to this great kingdom work. We can spot when other people's gifts and skills come out. We can be encouragers. Because sometimes we might not know what we're called to, but other people can so easily see it in us. So I commend us to, to work in community with this. We're not an island, are we? Have you ever... Uh, some of you might know this one. It's a very, very famous... Very, very famous verse. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. It reads, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Thank you. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Has anyone ever realized that they are incredibly powerful, dangerous, dynamite words? This is not just uh, a verse that you can put in your fridge and, and take heart. This is dynamite. And I would encourage you not to pray for this if you don't want God to absolutely impact and turn your life around. Let's read it again with that mindset. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Your own understanding. What do you understand about your life? Don't trust that. Don't trust where you've come from. Don't trust who, what has been said over you. Don't trust your CV, your qualifications or lack of them. Don't trust your context. 
Don't trust that somebody else will be raised up. Don't trust that you're not good enough. Don't trust your own understanding. You understand? Yeah, you understand? You with me? You with me? I've got you so far. Don't trust your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. This is not your work. This is God's work. You submit it to him, and he will make your path straight. Can you see what dynamite that is? I hope that I've completely ruined that verse for all of you. That when you read it, you will remember me telling you how much dynamite that is. It's explosive. And if every Christian up and down the na- this nation, and if every Christian around this world just took that verse and did it, we would have a multitude of kingdom changes. Eric Liddell, you know, uh, is a famous man. He did that incredibly famous verse. I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Isn't that great? We have each been made uniquely for a purpose. And God may be uh, stirring your heart for something you've dreamed of for a long time. And you might need to uh, shrug off some of the identities you've made agreement with this morning. When I was researching, just getting the wording right on that verse, I came across another Eric Liddell verse, which I think is incredibly powerful. If in the quiet of your heart you feel something should be done, stop and consider whether it is in line with the character and teaching of Jesus. If so, obey that impulse to do it, and in doing so, you will find it was God guiding you. Isn't that amazing? In so doing, you will find it was God guiding you. Jesus knew, so he got up. What do you know? What do you know that inspires you to get up? We're all on this massive learning journey. Uh, when I was, uh, I, I did a degree and it had a, it had a single placement, and in that placement year, uh, before I went back to do my final year, I worked in the home office in um, a department that looked at crime statistics. So it, looked at, it worked with civil servants and police officers to get this idea of everybody calls a burglary a burglary. And Northamptonshire aren't calling their burglaries trespass. They're also calling them burglaries. Otherwise, Northampton's figures may look different or better. Anyway. And uh, on the first, I was there as a plucky little student, a bit of a chip on their shoulder. Uh, and it was the first meeting. And there were representatives from every single national uh, police force around this big table, the 20 or 30 people. And I was there with my boss. I was sat there. All I was, I'd literally been there two weeks. I said that I was taking the minutes. And my boss introduced himself, you know, da, 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 and it goes around every single individual. And as it went around the first few people, they said, well, I'm a part of this constabulary, and I'm a chief, chief, chief superintendent, da, 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 da. and they would uh, outline their role, how long they'd been involved in this big project. It was really nationally significant. Anyway, being the plucky idiot that I was, I thought I'd be funny. Has anyone ever tried to be funny, and then it really isn't funny? Yeah, yeah, I seem to do that fairly often. Uh, anyway, it finally got around. Literally, I was the last person all the way back because I'm sitting next to my boss. And uh, it got that to me, and I just said, hello. Um, uh, yeah, my name's... I was not married then. My name's uh, Catherine Tweedale, and, uh, and I'm here uh, working in this department as a uh, placement. And I had nothing else to say because I wasn't qualified in anything. So in order to, I thought, to sort of undermine and question and be quite uh, cutting edge. I did a politics degree, I was full of it. I just went, yeah, my name's Catherine Tweedow, I'm here as a, a placement student, and my favourite colour is blue. 
I know, it's so bad, isn't it? It's so bad, I completely missed it. The only person who found me funny was someone I really got on with and very, very well, who was actually the most senior person there. And he almost laughed out loud. He did one of those laughs where he's like, because <coughs> <coughs> he knew he shouldn't laugh. He kind of got what I was being ridiculous and trying to achieve. I'd suggest don't do that. I suggest don't do that. It wasn't respectful, it wasn't humble. Um, and I got it into my head that I needed to show these old boys, because uh, it was predominantly men, you know, that you know, here was this edgy student, what did they know? Oh, for goodness sake, Catherine. They had 30, 40 years of experience in the police force. You've been here a week. Anyway, God's working on that. God's working on that. So I'm not saying that you should step in and uh, go beyond what God is calling you. He says at the end of the passage in verse 30, uh, verse. Uh, 16, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. When we serve, we serve out of a place of submission. It's not about Catherine's story. It's not about my favorite color is blue, and I'm going to change the sort of national crime recording world because I'm I'm edgy or, well, frankly, ridiculous, actually. But anyway, um, it's actually we're serving under the leadership of a bigger God, We are always his servant. We're not his slave. We're always his servant, and we always submit to his ways, and we work in community with one another. And the last verse is amazing. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He got up. He served. He humbled himself. He laid down his rights. When we get up and serve from a place of security... In the heavenly realms, we are declaring and we are making agreement with the fact that I am a child of God. You are a child of God. I am a royal priesthood. That I have his power, that I am a co-heir of Christ. When we serve from a place of uh, fulfillment with our Father and we're acting in his will, we are actually declaring the praises of heaven. Isn't that incredible? Who doesn't want to partner with that? Who doesn't want to partner with that? It's absolutely incredible. It confirms our identity putting our faith into action, copying the king, and what a good king we have. What a good king we have. It might be this morning that you, you just feel rusty, you just feel weary, that actually you're beginning to think, goodness, there's elements of all those four things that have just got into my head that I feel like a slave. I'm just doing this and no one's seeing it. I'm just sl- slogging my guts out and there's no change. There's no creativity. I'm just... I'm just depleted. Well, you're an orphan. That actually you feel like if you get this wrong, God's not going to love you. God's not going to value you anymore. And that stifles creativity. And that stifles taking a risk. And perhaps you're realizing that actually because you serve and people like what you do, that actually it's inflated your pride. That's something just for all of us to be uh, conscious of all the time. Or perhaps you've noticed that there's elements of cynicism that have creeped into your service. That actually, when you see your name on your rotor, you go, oh, why am I bothering? Rather than doing it in partnership with our great God. As we close, as we come to a, a close this morning, I think it'd be really important to, for all of us to rededicate ourselves to this big kingdom work. Would you like to do that with me? Should we stand if you're able?
might want to put your hands out as a symbol of just submission and, and receiving as well. Jesus, we, we look to you as our incredible example. We look to you as our truth and as our servant king. And Lord, we repent and we, we apologize and we bring to you when we've got it wrong. When we've made our service and our worship to you something that it shouldn't be. And we rededicate ourselves to your kingdom's work. We rededicate ourselves to the work that you have put in front of us. And we dedicate ourselves to working with you, co-partnering, co-creating, in community with you, loving Father God. Amen. We've touched on an awful lot this morning. I've covered an awful lot. And this may have raised out all sorts of different things in you about your identity, about knowing that you're not an orphan, that knowing that you're not a slave. And I would so encourage you, we have an incredible ministry team. Or even if you're feeling nervous that, just nudge your friend, neighbor and they can pray for you for a confirming of your identity. They may well be people that you would really like insight into what God has got for you. And you'd really like a word to confirm the calling that God has got on your life. And just to say, if you're in your 70s or your 80s or your 90s, God's call on your life is no less significant than if you're in your 20s. If you're on this earth, God's got a purpose for you. Even if that is that you can be raised up as a mighty warrior, an intercessor from your own living room, I would commend that to you. God is not finished with you. He doesn't do retirement. We're going to worship and finish the service. But if you'd like me or some of the other ministry team and the staff to pray with you, to receive new insight and fresh calling and direction, do come. Just come out in your droves. There's anything that God has stirred your heart is calling you to for his kingdom's work. Amen.